This is the All Sports Podcast devoted to your favorite teams in North Texas. Welcome to Ballsy, a production of the Dallas Morning News and Sports Day. Our weekly show is proudly hosted. Okay, strike that. Our show is hosted by Kevin Sherrington, Evan Grant, and myself. I'm David Moore, and who knows, maybe we'll have a special guest or two along the way. Catch other episodes by subscribing to the Ballsy Podcast on iTunes. We're also on social media. Just search Ballsy Podcast on Facebook and Twitter, and you'll be notified of the latest episode. Don't forget, it's Ballsy with a Z. Are you ready, sports fans? Ballsy starts now. Hello, everybody. Welcome into Ballsy, the Sports Day DFW Dallas Morning News Sports Podcast. I am Kevin Sherrington, joined in the studio today by Evan Grant and David Moore. And on the line with us, the voice of all college, basketball, football, <laughs> lacrosse, uh, <laughs> just soccer, you know, Maybe in the old water polo, yeah. <laughs> cricket, <laughs> Tim Brando. Hi, Tim. How are you? I've done great, Kevin. Good to be with uh, all three of you. I hope you're well and enjoyed the March Madness. I'm uh, I'm headed for uh, Minneapolis uh, the day after tomorrow. So exciting time! It is an exciting time. It's it's a it's a beautiful thing. I tell you what, I you know I was a little slow to come around on the tournament. Uh, that it really picked up some steam here in the last week or so. There was some unbelievable games, some incredible performances. Uh, this is what everybody's looking for in, in college basketball in the tournament. Well, what we had this year, and I have, um, as you know, been a part of the NCAA tournament really since um, I went to ESPN and, we, and hosted the early rounds in the mid-'80s. And then for 18 years, I, I worked it for CBS before leaving in 2013. And, but, I, but I remain uh, as excited about the tournament and, as, of course, call so many games in the regular season and, just concluded the ACC tournament uh, for the final time for me. Um, and so I'm so into it, and I still enjoy watching it. But matter of fact, I probably enjoy the tournament now more than I did when I worked it because when you work in the tournament, it's a blur. You're just there with eight teams at one site, and it's hard to keep up with the entirety of the tournament. But what we had happen in that opening week was not it was an anomaly really normally we have all our buzzer beaters and bracket busting the first weekend and we didn't have much of that it was mostly chalk right uh and so when you have that that means the regional final weekend is going to deliver big because you've got really legitimate teams with most of the top seeds getting through and that made for an incredible second week of the tournament the likes of which we haven't seen in a while now, now you know what's happening this week is everyone saying, oh, but we lost the Blue Bloods. We lost Kentucky and Duke in the same day, and, you know, no Zion. And, it was, and, and that may bother some people that are drive-by fans of the college game, but if you're a purist of college basketball and a traditionalist as I am, you're like, oh, man, bring it on. we got two programs like Auburn and Texas Tech that have never been there in their, their program's history. You've got Michigan State that, you know, is is not quite a blue blood, but a, a program that's uh, storied with a Hall of Fame coach that, that won to open the millennial back in 2000 when, when Tom got his title. And this is his, uh, gosh, I think it's his seventh Final Four, uh, if memory serves me correctly. That's unbelievable. Uh, yeah, I mean, it's, and, and I mean to, to, to have been in Elite Eights, I think something like 12 times. And then you've got Virginia – 
with Tony Bennett at a time when college basketball is having all the issues that it's having, FBI wiretap stories and all the things that have dragged the sports image down, if Virginia were to win the national title with Tony Bennett after going out as the only one seed against the 16 the year before, I mean, to me, that would represent everything that's right about college basketball because uh, that's as wholesome a program as you're going to find with as good a guy as you're going to find. So the storylines here are just um, incredible and fresh blood, new blood, and uh, I think a lot of excitement going in. Everybody that's playing believes they can win it. Tim, this is David Morage. I just had a quick question. It's uh, understanding that that you picked all four of these teams to be there, so so we understand <laughs> that. But 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 can you talk a little uh, in this group? What what is the most surprising of these four teams to you that they got to this stage, and and which team is the least surprising to you that they will be playing this weekend? Uh, I, I'd say probably the most surprising is Auburn, given where they were. Uh, in, say, late January, early February. Now, they were really struggling. Uh, they were having uh, issues with with uh, attrition, uh, injuries. Uh, and then, you know, Harper got going to go along with, um, you know, some of the, the, the front-line players that they absolutely had to have. They are uh, a team that lacks size, no real front line, so to speak, and a team that got punched out, you might recall, very early in the NCAAs last year, after also winning uh, not the regular season. They were co-champions of the SEC last year. This year, they were in the middle of the pack, uh, around fifth or sixth, uh, and not as good as, uh, really, uh, Kentucky, Tennessee, LSU. Uh, and, and, and I thought would probably go out early. As a matter of fact, I had New Mexico State beating them in the opening round in my bracket, and they almost did. I mean, New Mexico State had an open three to win the game, uh, and the iron was unkind, and then uh, Auburn went on a tear after that. Well, that's just the nature of the tournament. Uh, And Bruce Pearl is, he's a master motivator. He reminds me a lot, and I know there's a lot of people, especially in the print business now, that love to bring up, you know, the underbelly of Bruce's uh, past. But that was an issue that should not have been a big issue. If he had just reported himself at Tennessee on that situation with Aaron Kraft at the barbecue at his house, if he had just said, yeah, I did it, uh, that would have been a minimal penalty for him and for the program at Tennessee. As it was, he lied. He asked the kid to lie. It was an immature, stupid mistake, and he wound up getting a three-year show cause. But he paid that price. I mean, he did. And I think the return to glory to some extent after being in coaching exile is actually a pretty doggone good story here. But he does, and I'm going to go back in time for you, Kevin, you're about my age, so you should remember, he, he'll be the Pied Piper of this Final Four. He's personality plus. He's got a lot of Dale Brown in him. Yeah, uh, And I does. remember in 86 when Dale brought LSU to Reunion Arena as an 11 seed, they had beaten Kentucky in the regional finals and had to go through an incredibly talented Memphis team with William Bedford, Keith Lee, all those guys. They had beaten, after beating Memphis, they beat Georgia Tech with Mark Price and Bruce Dalrymple and those guys that had uh, gone to the Elite Eight in 85. Then they beat Kentucky with Kenny Skywalker, a 31 team, by far the greatest team Eddie Sutton ever had. Uh, at Kentucky, 
and they had lost three times to Kentucky that year, twice in the regular season, then once in the SEC title, uh, SEC tournament. It was their fourth try against them. Uh, and his team had gone through chicken pox and all kinds of drama, as Dale seems seemingly always did. And they got to the Final Four and almost beat Louisville. I mean, they played Louisville off their feet. I think, you know, Auburn reminds me of that LSU team. And Bruce reminds me of the sort of a modern-day, you know, Elmer Gantry type, you know. And so he'll be the darling, I think, from a, both from uh, being, being uh, ridiculed by some because of what's happened recently in his career. And then I think also the, the other side, which is uh, how, he, how he won over the community of Auburn, a football community. He won over to basketball. And frankly, he did the same thing at Tennessee. Ask anyone in Knoxville how they feel about Bruce Pearl. They'll all tell you, damn, I wish he hadn't screwed up because we'd love to have him back. Um, and that was before they got Rick Barnes, who's obviously finally they've righted the ship since Bruce left. But um, I, I think that's the team that surprises me most. The one that I thought would be there had the best chance of being there is Michigan State. Uh, I felt Izzo's team would get punched out by Duke. I had Duke getting through that bracket. I thought it would be a very competitive game, uh, but I thought Duke would win. Uh, but, but, but Michigan State's the most talented team, most proven team, a veteran team. Uh, Goins, who hit the big shot, is an original walk-on and a fifth-year senior. Uh, Cassius Winston's the best leader at the point guard position in college basketball. I called about a half dozen of their games going back to Thanksgiving in Vegas and uh, – all the way through the Big Ten season. And Nick Ward is a pro who tested the NBA waters, came back for an additional year, made himself better, uh, and he's a true low-post presence. So Michigan State, to me, is the favorite going in because of their experience in the tournament and Tom's experience on this stage. It's Tony's first visit, Bruce's first visit, and certainly for Chris Beard, who, by the way, I think is the national coach of the year. Uh, what Texas Tech has done is off the charts. And by the way, it should surprise no one. If you followed college basketball all year, Culver is a big-time talent that no one around the country talked about because of the, oh, my God, did you see Zion last night narrative that we've had all year long. But Culver's a big-time talent, and you add that with the outstanding guard play and the, just the defensive clamp-down approach that Beard got from his days working under Bob Knight. You know, Tyree Penders told me and told Bob Knight that Chris Beard's going to be the best assistant you'll have at Texas Tech. And not only was he the best assistant that Knight had, he's now going to be, from his coaching tree, his most successful uh, protege uh, in college basketball. Tim, this is Evan Grant. (laughs) Hi, Evan. We were hoping he would just sit out the entire podcast, (laughs) but go right ahead, Evan. How are you, Tim? I'm great. Uh, You guys got me rolling. I'm sorry. I uh, just, you know, you, you ask questions that make me ramble. I apologize. No, you're not, no there's nothing apologize. for you to apologize no, no. for. But I just want to <laughs> ask you this. Um, have you run by Dale your comparison of Dale and Bruce Pearl? Yeah, I think I have. What, yeah, what does he say about that? Dale, I talked to Dale probably uh, a couple of days ago, and we discussed it. Uh, I don't think he minds. Uh I think he understands where I'm coming from. It's it's meant in a positive way. I think what's right about Bruce, Bruce has got his demons. You know, Bruce has got his demons. But everyone has, a, as they say, a bright side and a dark side. The bright side of Bruce reminds me of Dale. All right, What's good about Bruce 
is, as I think, uh, reminds me of Dale. And as you know, Dale is like a second father to me. So he's, um, I think he's okay with it. Here's here's my favorite Dale Brown story. Dale is my. I'm just going to say this. Dale is my all time favorite college coach. He. He was – you remember Jose Vargas. Uh, Jose Vargas yep. was uh, at a press conference. I can't remember when this was. Big guy, uh, very intimidating player, very very nice guy. And he was talking oh, about yeah. something that happened on campus, and it, and he was distraught about it. I can't remember what it was. I believe there have been some maybe racial overtones, something that happened. Yeah. And he was telling right. Dale about it, and Dale said – Dale grabs a bat and says, let's go. And he's like going to go find these guys <laughs> that had accosted Jose Vargas. And now, yeah. now the the scene is Jose Vargas trying to calm down Dale Brown to keep him from going out and attacking well, somebody with a bat. Yeah, All right. Well, yeah, I, can yeah. I tell my favorite Dale story? Go ahead. So it's the SEC tournament, and I forget which year which year this is, but Shaq is at LSU. Oh, it's Carlos Gross. It's I know a, where you're going. Carlos Thank Boozer, you. right? No, Carlos Groves. Carl, okay. Carlos Boozer. I, I get my – Carlos, Carlos is mixed, mixed up. up. But Boozer was a dude. Yeah. But so uh, they get into the hack-a-shack, and Dale is in the middle of the floor ready to fight to protect Shaquille. He gets tossed from the game. He's walking off the court at the Jefferson County Coliseum in Birmingham. It's complete and total chaos. And our pal, Scott Reed, former Dallas uh, Times-Herald staffer, who's covering Georgia along with I, goes chasing after Dale off the court. Dale gets very upset about this, as uh, you expect he would, and he brings him up by name or points at him in the post-game press conference. Three o'clock in the morning, the phone rings apparently in Scott's room. He told me this the next day because he thought I was playing a prank on him. And for 15 minutes, the guy on the other end apologized profusely for yelling at him in this press conference. Scott believed none of this. Until finally Dale Brown actually convinced him that it was Tim, <laughs> Dale Brown, calling him at 3 o'clock in the morning to apologize. Oh, yeah. No. And that, and that happened a lot with Dale, by the way, in his prime. Uh, a quick, here's my story on that. Uh, in those days, I was, was at ESPN, and I did the quarterfinals, the opening round of the quarterfinals of the ACC tournament in Charlotte. And then they would fly me to Birmingham to do the semifinals and the championship game of the SEC in Birmingham. So I get through with my early quarterfinal day. Uh, I did the early games in Charlotte, and then I'm flying to Birmingham. I get there just in time for the start of the second the second game. And I want to say Alabama or Auburn, one of those two were playing, the game that followed Tennessee and LSU. Fellas, I've never gone into a tournament game and seen press row completely empty. I mean, nobody is on press row. So I walk up to Larry Conley and Tom Hammond, who are doing the games uh, for Jefferson Powell. I was going to do the games for ESPN the next day. Um, a little bit like the ACC, we had two broadcasts going, one in the SEC footprint and one nationally. So I go up, top tap on Larry Conley's shoulder, and I'm like, where is everybody? He says, oh, Tim, you don't know? <laughs> this is during one of their commercial breaks. He says, you might want to go underneath. They're having a hell of a press conference, and that's where everyone is. <laughs> Roy, Roy, Roy Kramer, I mean, it's, it's Joe Dean was the athletic director at LSU. Roy Kramer, 
Joe Dean, Jimmy Rayburn, who was the executive in charge of Raycup, they're going through mounds of tape, mounds of tape from the trucks uh, that Jefferson Pilot had to find out who really left the bench. Four LSU players got thrown for the next game against Kentucky in the semifinals. <laughs> and, um, and, 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 you know, how Dale wound up being eligible, but those players weren't, <laughs> is still, you know, give him, give him credit for making sure that he at least got the coaching team the next day. Uh, it was incredible. Absolutely incredible. And by the way, even without Shaq, I think Patino's Kentucky team that had Travis Ford and Jamal Mashburn, they only won by like four points. They almost beat him. LSU almost beat Kentucky. That it was it was incredible. But I've never gone to a, a quarterfinal game at the SEC tournament and seen press row completely vacant. And this was like five minutes left in the first half, Grant. And there's not a newspaper guy except maybe uh, the one from Opelika. Uh, and, 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 you know, that's watching Auburn play. It was incredible. It uh, college basketball misses characters like Dale Brown. I'm just going to say that. Oh yeah, yeah, and and that's what that's kind of my point about Bruce Pearl is he's a character. I mean, he's uh, he's emotional, uh, and and for those that are his critics, and I know he's got plenty. Uh, he was excoriated the day of the North Carolina game by the, the female reporter from USA Today. I thought it was a bit unfair, frankly, that that article, because I don't think it showed both sides. Uh, and those detractors are always going to be there with him. And as much as you guys love Dale, there are a lot of others that just thought he was uh, off his rocker. They didn't understand that Dale was the genuine article. Uh, and I and I think that Bruce is, is genuine, too. I just think he made some serious mistakes. And because his name, and because really, more, more importantly, because the Chuck Person part of this FBI thing is still out there, uh, he's still, to some extent, tied with what's going on that's seen as negative with the game. And uh, we'll find out, I guess, in late April what, if any, guilt uh, is still with Bruce. I, I frankly don't think there is, because if there were, I, I don't think Auburn would be celebrating to the extent that they are. So what do you think are Tech's chances against Michigan State? You know, they're really good because of the way they play and because Michigan State is a team that from time to time struggles to score anyway. Um, this this is this is not a game that's going to be aesthetically enjoyable to watch because it's like a root canal whenever you play Texas Tech, the way they defend. They just get they don't let you run any of the stuff. I mean, they just don't. And Cassius Winston is good enough, I think, to make some plays, but at the same time, uh, Jared Culver is is actually with the ball taller and and better at making his own plays than, than Cassius is. Uh, it's, it's the classic first one to 50 probably wins the game, which makes for, you know, not the most exciting, uh, you know, brand of basketball to watch. But from a defensive standpoint, it's going to be brilliant. It's going to be, uh, oh, my God, this is, this is one Hank Iba would love to be watching in heaven. Okay, because of the defensive principles that'll be exercised uh, in the game. Uh, that's how Texas Tech just needs to play their game as best they know how. And Jerry Culver is probably the, the the key here. He he cannot afford to have a bad shooting game. They got away with his not playing particularly well right. in the final uh, in the regional final. He'll need to shoot the ball better than he did in that one 
to beat Michigan State because they are a better defensive team than really Texas Tech has played up until this point. Is Culver as good a player as there is in this Final Four? Yes. Yes. I, I think that uh, Culver is probably, with Zion Williamson not in this thing, he's the best pro, best future pro that you'll see on the floor for any of the four teams. And see, that's, Evan, that's the problem with college basketball today, especially with the national media. These, these clowns on daytime television and sports, all they want to talk about is where the guy projects at the next level. I'm so sick and damn tired of hearing it. It makes me sick to my stomach. Uh, the college game is not appreciated for, you know, what, what it's, what makes it great, you know, team basketball. Uh, as good as Culver is, he plays in Lubbock and they, it doesn't matter that he's on ESPN as, you know, as much as he is. Uh, Zion Williamson was on ESPN, and that's all they talked about. And by the way, Zion's a generational player, great kid, deserved the accolades he received. But I'm talking about the morning after. Everybody wants to talk about where he projects. I don't care. I don't care where he projects. LeBron, you know, and those guys, don't. they don't even play now. They're tanking games in that league. Why should I care about where a player's <laughs> going to go to tank games? What the players are going to be tanking at the next level? I mean, I just don't care. But that's what's wrong today with with the media coverage of college basketball. Is it's been reduced to who's in, who's out, who the number one seeds are, and where does said player, whether it's uh, uh, you know, name that guy. It was Trey Young last year. It was Ben Simmons the year before that. It's Zion this year. Gag me, okay? Well, I Gag think a lot of that. I, I do think a lot of that is due to the one and done phenomenon. Um, well, sure. But sure. I, 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 you know, I, and I, I mean, you're you're against that, speaking of people. Want, Evan, no, it's not just about one and done. Sure. No, it's lazy ass media that doesn't want to learn about today's college basketball. They don't want the storylines to be told they want to just talk about one guy it's easy it's always easy when we dumb it down to just talking about one guy i listen i can't agree with you more and that but i think it, it that goes across the entire spectrum you know i mean we yeah uh, on, no, on the baseball side it's it's all bryce and right, it, it, right. you know it, that's unfair to a whole lot of players on, on college sure basketball is. this year it's been zion williamson and zion williamson only um well you, you, you cover baseball as closely as I cover basketball, so that's a fair statement. I'll agree with you there. And, but, but frankly, I think it's even more a factor in, in basketball because of the drama-driven uh, dribble that we get from a league that's governed by its players, not by its owners. Drama-driven dribble. I like that. I love the alliteration of that. That's going to be used bad. in a Kevin Sherrington drama column. Drama-driven dribble. Drama-driven dribble. When he does use it, I'm going to forward you that column so that you can sue him. I think actually – He'll take full credit for it, though. He won't give you any credit. He'll just use it. I think actually that's already in my bio on the website. <laughs> a lot of drama-driven dribble. Um, but any, let, let me ask you a little about uh, more about tech here because um, – the thing that intrigues me about them, the way they play defense, you know, teams come into the tournament lots of times that are famous for their defense. And from a regional standpoint, like Arkansas, 40 minutes of hell under Nolan Richardson and that kind of thing. But that was a case of, of the, you know, they're pressing – 
you know, they're they're overpowering the ball. The thing that impresses me so much about Tech's defense is the way they they circle in, circle out. You know, they they just they they deny all the the things you're trying to do all the time. Right. And that's and right. and, and and to that point, Reggie Miller said something to me that was very interesting uh, in the uh, oh a couple of games ago. He said that. Uh, he's been on TNT for nine years. He said, the practice I saw the other day with Texas Tech is the best practice I've ever seen in those nine years. He said this to you? No, I didn't Or say he, he said, said this, said and to you it yeah. was very interesting. Yeah, to me it was very interesting. Right, yeah. right, yeah. right. So, well, uh, he's trying to just drop some Reggie Miller no, in there. Oh, no, no. <laughs> so, anyway, you're, you're taking well, it instead of Evans' take. Well, I think, I think I've been to some really good practices in my day. Uh, John Beeline's got one of the best I've ever been to. But I will tell you that what Beard does is is pretty – it's simple, but it's also difficult. Um, to get guys to buy in to – and this is an old line, but it's true. It's a, it's a Bob Knight-ism, okay? Uh, and Beard le- learned this. You know, Shishovsky took a lot of the really good things about Bob, and 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 then he made sure the bad things about Bob, at least outwardly, were not there to be seen. And if those, if that was part of who he was, he camouflaged it. Well, Beard is kind of the same way. He camouflages some of the difficult parts of what Knight was all about, but he really did hone in like a human sponge on the ball you man theory. Uh, and that is an old basketball coaching axiom of making sure that you keep the man and the ball in front of you, so you 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 cannot you cannot lose sight of what if if anybody gets past you that's on you. You cannot, from a defensive standpoint, let that guy turn the corner on you. If there is a um, ball screen up around the three-point line to get through. You cannot go under that ball screen. You must go over that ball screen and not foul. You know, those set principles of defense uh, that Knight had, that maybe really his 87 team, uh, Evan, go back to Dale, Dale that, that team that Dale had should have beaten them uh, with Jose Vargas uh, in 87 and gone to a second straight Final Four. They came from about 12 down to win, and they did it with defense. They, they just they were so good defensively. Now, Fess Irvin missed the front end of a one-and-one that could have put the game away, but uh, that, that was not the most talented Indiana team. And that, and that team beat LSU, went to the Superdome, where LSU could have been maybe given Dale his first national title. Uh, and then, you know, Keith Smart hit the shot to beat Syracuse, and the rest is history. Uh, you know, you don't have to be the, the most talented team to win the championship in college basketball. And Beard is never going to have the most talent. Now, it just so happens in this Final Four, he has the best individual talent, I believe, left in this tournament uh, in Jared Culver. But the great part about Culver is that he doesn't take time off on defense because he's a great offensive player. Hell, he's one of the best defensive players they have. So that's the thing that jumps out, and I'm sure that's what impressed uh, Reggie about the practice. Let me ask you this about Jarrett Culver. Uh, is that, oh, Evan is saying that we got to go. I'm not going. Oh. We're going to ask you one more thing here, Tim. Yeah, go ahead. Okay. Make it quick, though. Irwin is now, this, giving us a... this is just This is just me <laughs> because, my, because of my time in Houston. Uh, but uh, Jarrett Culver reminds me a little bit of Clyde Drexler. Oh, you see go. any similarities yeah. there? No, absolutely. 
he's got that explosiveness. I think he's a better defender than Drexler. Yeah. Now Drexler was a Drexler was a great shot blocker, like all of them were. Mm-hmm. Okay. Culver's defensive abilities, his technical defensive abilities, are better than any of the superstars that I've seen uh, in recent memory in college basketball. And he's he's got such great links. Uh, and and because when Texas Tech plays the way they do from an offensive standpoint, and let's not lose sight of Moretti, the guard. I love him. Uh, I think that that kid, he made some really big shots, especially driving to the basket uh, for Texas Tech. Moretti feeds off Culver's ability and gets good shots because of the, the concentration on Culver. And and he's okay with that. You know, Jared doesn't mind that. It's not He doesn't have to get his to get his, so to speak. You know what I mean? Yeah. And I think that that's what drives him uh, with this team to be the best. You know, Texas Tech is going to have, at times, they struggle to score. A little bit like Michigan State. They're mirror images of one another. The difference is, because of Culver's presence, Moretti and others will get lanes to the basket. And and they play with the kind of abandon that you have to, to, to win. I think he may be the key to this game. How Moretti holds up with Cassius Winston on the other side, he's going to need help from Culver and his friends because he's, He's, he's out man. I mean, Winston's a better player. Uh, Cassius Winston's the best leader of any of the players on the floor in this tournament. Culver's the best player. Winston's the best leader. And that's, and that's how Drexler was, too. He would, he would not necessarily win games with shots at the end. He would win plays with games at the end. And he was much more of a that's freelance right. defender than Culver yeah. is. Culver's an on-the-ball right. defender. Yeah. Yeah, Drexler, Drexler knew he had the big fella that was a rim runner and a rim protector. Yeah. So he could take those chances. Culver doesn't have that. And that's why I think he's, from a defensive standpoint, better overall. But it's a great comparison because of his athleticism and his, his, his ability to explode, both, both offensively, but especially defensively. All right, Tim, the next time we have you on, um, we'll share memories. Uh, of my time in Shreveport covering college basketball, <laughs> and I'll um, I'll ask you to compare players to great centenary gentlemen of the past. Yeah, that's like hey, everybody cares about that. <laughs> <laughs> well, there's some of them still out there, by the way. Greg Gary, who was the assistant to Matt Painter, uh, was the last Division One coach centenary ever had. He now he just took the job at Mercer, so they're still out there. They're still there. Kevin. Um, all right, before you go, in, t- in in 15 seconds, who wins this whole shooting match? I got a feeling about Virginia if they survive Auburn. I, I just think they may be anointed. And because of the way they play, we talk about root canals, you know, Virginia. <laughs> but they can also score uh, more than they used to. Kihei Clark, their little guard is loved. Kyle Jerome uh, and uh, uh, Ty Jerome and Kyle Guy to play off the ball more. And DeAndre Hunter is a pro. So Virginia's got more talent than people think, and offensively they are much better than they were a year ago. If Virginia can handle Auburn, and I think they can, then I think Texas Tech and Michigan State will be so spent after they play. It's advantage Virginia. I'm picking the Cavaliers to win it all. All right, Kevin, what do you got? I'm homing it up and going with Tech. David? Michigan State's pretty tough overall. I just think they're a tough physical team, and I would lean toward them. This pains me to say it because I think you all know just how much I hate the Big Ten. But 
I think I've got to go with Michigan State. Um, Just because they are the favorite and because they've got the experienced coach and they've they've got probably the most experienced roster. Michigan State. I got no problem. I got no problem with any one of those picks. Anything can happen, and that's what makes this so fantastic. And I really don't give a damn how many blue bloods are or aren't there or whether Zion or anything like him is, is in this tournament. This is a team game. It's about what's on the front of the jersey, not the back. And uh, let's I, the fact that no one in daytime sports television can handle that makes me very, very happy. <laughs> All right, Tim, it's been great having you on. We will have you on again uh, to, to discuss college football when that season rolls around. Uh, thanks again for joining us, and thank you, everybody, for tuning in to three episodes of Ballsy, the Rangers, Cowboys, and the NCAA Final Four. So long. Be sure to subscribe to our weekly episodes on iTunes. Follow us on Facebook and Twitter, too. Just search the Ballsy with a Z podcast. Until next time, sports fans, we'll see you.